Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International, a revival ministry dedicated to bringing the living waters of God's love to a hurting and dying world. It is our desire as you listen to the following message that the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh and that you would be ignited into a fervency for Jesus. This is the day to be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea. God is doing something new on planet Earth today, and you and I have the great privilege to be a part of it. We love you. Be blessed. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. With every head bowed, every eye closed, please, if you're here tonight and if you're visiting, and you do not know our wonderful Savior, His name is Jesus, and you would like to know more about Him, you would like to surrender your life, you would like prayer, I want you to lift your hand right now. If you would like to know more about Jesus, God bless you, who else? Bless you, bless you, bless you, who else? Bless you. How about over here? You would like to know more about Jesus? You would like to get connected with what is happening in the family of God? Lift your hand high so we can see who you are. Wonderful. Look at all those hands. Glory to God. How about you, Chan? Would you like prayer? Good to see Chris again tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those who are lifting their hands, I just want to say to you that you're our guest of honor tonight. We love you guys. Hallelujah. What I would like every person that raised their hand to remain standing, and everybody else just to sit, be seated, please. If you lifted your hand, just remain standing, okay? Who else? Who else? <laughs> Hallelujah. Anybody in this section, you want to raise your hand, you would like prayer to accept Jesus tonight. St remain standing. Hallelujah. In this section here, this section or this section, you lifted your hand, you would like prayer tonight to know Jesus. Praise God. What I would like to do for all those who are standing, we want to be able to pray with you real quick. And... Um, give you a Bible, and then bring it right back into service. Is that all right? I want to pray with you so you can get connected in what's happening in the service. If you all could walk forward, please. Come out of your aisle. Come on over here, out of your aisle. And just walk forward. We'd like to pray with you guys. like all of you to do is to turn to your right. Look at me. Turn around. Look at, yeah. yeah. Your right, my left. Just to follow this, brother, lift your Bible up in the air. 
just follow him to a room. We're going to pray with you and then bring you right back into service, okay? Hallelujah. Praise God. Do we need more counselors so everything's okay? Hallelujah. <laughs> Get him, Holy Ghost. Touch him. Touch him in Jesus' name. You know, I had no idea all those guys were even in this service. I mean, I... Just when you feel a, a crying in your heart, always give an altar call. If you're not behind a pulpit, if you're out ministering in the streets, you feel a cry to start. Somebody there is ready to receive. Hallelujah. Remember that. Hallelujah. Father, just touch him, Lord. Just, just soak and shake and bake him, Lord. But they'll never be the same. One touch of your glory. Chan and all those others, Father, touched by your glory tonight. Break every power of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Give the counselors wisdom to speak in their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory. As Brother Jim said, when we met Chan last night um, at the campus, and uh, he just basically was saying, you know, I like, yes, I'd like to know more. I'd like to know more. I'm open. I want to know more about Christianity. I'd like to come to your church. <laughs> Hallelujah. So they're open, folks. We just ain't go fishing. Amen. Glory to God. I. Let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah 42. I like to. I've never ministered on a topic like this before. I never thought there'd be a need to talk about this. But I'm going to launch out into the waters tonight. And talk about a subject that I've been meditating on the last three days. And we'll see how the Lord brings it out. Let's begin at Isaiah 42 and verse 5. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I also hold you by the hand and watch over you. This is a sign of intimacy here. I'll appoint you as a covenant to the peoples, as a light to the nations to open up blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I'll not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song. This week is when Brother Steve was here and he was ministering under the singing anointing. Songs and hymns and rap and whatever else that was. Country and western. <laughs> that when I, my feet first touched the soil in Canada in 95 in Newfoundland with the Newfies, the Lord gave me this passage. And I've written in my Bible, see right here, I have it, 510 95. 
Newfoundland. <laughs> and I wrote it down. The Lord told me this is a promise for Canada. And so I wrote down, forgot all about it. So here I am two years, two and a half years later, and two and a quarter years later, and I'm sitting there and Steve is singing, the leaves are falling. The leaves are falling. But you all know in the fall there's going to be a mighty move of God in this church. It's already begun. It's like the tide is getting higher and higher. And the Lord said, His ministry has released a new thing by singing the new song. Right here, verse 10, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea, Pacific and Atlantic, and all that is in it, you islands of B.C. and Newfoundland and Halifax <laughs> and Labrador, and those who dwell on them, let the wilderness and the cities lift up their voices. The settlements were Kadar and Havis. Let the inhabitants of Salah sing aloud. Let them... Shout for joy from the tops of Calgary. Hallelujah. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. And as I sense, I mentioned to you um, this week, I mentioned that on Saturday night I saw the glory cloud come in. It was just there for a moment, but I saw it just suspended underneath the, the balcony section. And I said, oh, here we go. Here we go. But nothing really clicked in more than that. It was just, a, it was, we got refreshed, didn't we? We got changed, but we're still here. We're hungry for more. Amen? And the Lord began to share with me that He wants us to give Him all the glory. <laughs> and that's what I heard in my spirit. I want to talk about that tonight. It's new territory. As I was there on my knees, again on Wednesday night, it came to me again, and, and I told Steve at the end of the service, I said, the Lord wants us to give Him all the glory. And he wants to remove the idols from our lives. Yeah. That's why I gave the altar call now, because those guys wouldn't understand what's going on. We don't want to lose them through the cracks, you know, through a message delivered for the church. The Lord wants us to give him all the glory. He goes on in, over here in verse 8. I am the Lord, and that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. God will not give his glory to any man, any organization, any creed, movement, Whatever you want to call it, he will not share his glory with nobody. Let that sink in. If you want to get on God's angry side, start touching the glory. There is a I received a phone call this week from a, a man in Florida, and he told me about a certain church that they were at recently. And he says that this church was in a tremendous move of revival the last few years, but now the numbers have only dropped down to about 150 a night. And uh, really the cloud has moved on, so to speak, in one sense. And as I heard that, I began to weep. Because at this same church, the Lord two years ago gave me a word to deliver this church. That this church was having revival services, and the staff was coming into the meetings nonchalantly like, Okay, let's just, you know, God's going to be there anyway. We don't really have to prepare ourselves. We just come in there, well, He'll show up like it's always been going on. Hello, you know how I? We don't need to do some extra fasting or praying or extra pressing in because His cloud is here. We're just going to show up and the crowds will be there. And the Lord told me to send an email to this pastor and I said, because you have, your staff has taken a nonchalant attitude toward the presence of God, that God is going to send you through a dry time of testing. 
and you'll come out of this testing, and if you start giving him the glory again, his visitation will come back. Well, the word's come to pass already. Because, folks, when revival comes, that doesn't mean we can stop and pull back at all. I'll read to you what I, there's a, in the bookstore at PA uh, three weeks ago. I saw this book here from a, a writer who's now in the, with the Lord. And he says this, There is no safety but in advance. To stand still is to go back. To cease effort is to lose ground. To slacken the pace before the goal is reached is to lose the race. Tens of thousands have proved that to be content with beginning well is but the first step on a backward course that ends in losing it all. I'll repeat that. There is no safety but in advance. To stand still is to go back. To cease effort is to lose ground. To slacken the pace before the goal is reached is to lose the race. Tens of thousands have proved that to be content with beginning well is but the first step on backward on the backward course that ends in losing it all. That's Andrew Murray wrote that. Whew. And I just really sense that the Lord told me to minister this message whether you like it or not. Hallelujah. I'll show you. I know you'll like it. No, we can't slacken. We can't slacken. We've got to keep pressure on ourselves, on our flesh, and keep pressing forward. Hallelujah. Stay hungry. Hallelujah. We can be content with good meetings and that's it, or we can be, we can be content with a visitation of God that turns into a habitation. And don't think, you know, I was talking to Brother Steve, we were talking at lunch two days ago, and he says, the Lord spoke to him and says, the devil doesn't know how to start a revival, but the devil knows how to stop a revival. <laughs> and I would sometimes prefer to preach on a joy message, but the Lord, his fire is like shut up in my bones, and I have to deliver this. Oh! God will not give his glory to anything. The first thing that came to my mind was on the floor on Wednesday night when the Lord spoke that to me. I'll not give my glory to anybody was the idea of the Azusa Street Revival. If you read the Azusa Street Revival by Frank Bartleman, it's a, it's a book called Another Wave of Revival. That Bartleman got a burden from the Lord to start praying for a visitation upon California. He began to hear what was happening in, in the Welsh Revival of Evan Roberts. And he had a desire to start praying for revival. He began to repay for revival, began to pass out tracts on the streets, began to warn California that God was getting ready to shake California. He did that for a whole year. Then the San Francisco earthquake happened. This devastated California. And out of that came the first beginnings of the Zuzu Street revival. It first began with an, uh, a brother named, um, boy, what's his name? Oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. He, had, he was a, a Bap, Reverend Smalley, excuse me, Reverend Smalley was a Baptist minister. And they began to have revival services. The glory of God began to visit this Baptist church. This Baptist church, they went five straight weeks in revival. During those five straight weeks, the board got really upset. And the deacons rose up and told the, the pastor, either you stop these meetings or you're out of here. He goes, I'm out of here. And so he went down the street and a bunch of the people that were hungry followed him and they started what was called the New Testament church. This is before Azusa Street. And the glory of God began to visit this church. But after a season of time, the New Testament church wanted to become like other churches. They wanted to organize. They wanted to have a king like the other nations. Sound familiar? 
And as soon as they began to organize, nothing wrong with organization, but as soon as they began to build a wall, a perimeter around the spring that was bubbling forth, the cloud moved on. Bartleman left that church and says, we're losing the revival. And he went out to a small cottage and some prayer warriors came with him out of the New Testament church. And he got tremendously persecuted by Reverend Smalley because he thought he was in revival. He had taken the big step out of the Baptist church, followed the Lord, but he didn't keep moving on with the Lord. Bartleman did. Bartleman kept moving on. And the church that thought they were in revival began to persecute Bartleman. Then boom, Azusa Street broke out. But again, Azusa Street washed up on the shore dry after a few years. Even though we can trace our entire Pentecostal movement to that William Parham and uh, Azusa Street. Folks, this to me is like, bing, bing, bing. We've got to learn, you know. Say, there is no temptation such as common to man. What happened back then could happen now. When I was during praise and worship tonight, the Lord spoke to me and says, what is happening right now in my body as a whole is like the book of Judges. The book of Judges, the, the anointing was on certain charismatic leaders. And that's all we really see in the, in, the, in the North American body of Christ is charismatic leaders with an anointing that have a following, but everybody's still doing what, is, what they think what is right in their own eyes. There's not a body being a, having a visitation. There's this group versus this group. Come on now, come on. We just got to wake up and be honest with ourselves, you know. There's an anointing on, on certain ministers, and it's powerful, but the, the anointing is not on the body as a whole. And I'm tired of that stuff. I want to move on. Hallelujah. And, you know, go like this. The reason we're staying here is, you know, we appreciate your invitation, but also because we sense in our heart that there's a body here that's ready. Not just because there's just some charismatic leaders able to bring up large crowds, you know. Hear me now. I know little things. You know I'm young, you know, Brother Ken. I was born in Tulsa. <laughs> I saw a lot of stuff. We need to have a visitation that becomes a habitation. And I believe the key is that we will not give the glory to ourselves or any organization. Let me share another example of what I'm trying to get at. I was in Boca Raton, Florida last year, 15 months ago. And I was in Boca Raton, and we we're doing meetings in this, in this Messianic synagogue. And um, tremendous amounts for this congregation was having lots of Jewish people were getting saved. It was awesome, man. Just glory to God. And there is a woman who is in the church who worked as a nurse for a shut-in. There's a young lady, 30-some-odd years old, that was born paraplegic and uh, just all types of problems. Hadn't moved her legs for 15 years. She was in a wheelchair. Just really a, a... And she was a believer. This woman loved the Lord, but she was a prisoner in this broken body. Does make sense what I'm saying? Yes. And they asked, would you come visit this woman and pray for her? She said, yeah, we'd love to. So the pastor and myself went to this woman's house, walked in the house, and, you know, this woman was in a mobilized wheelchair and all she could do was move her head and move her right arm just a little bit. And she was so excited that somebody came to visit her. So excited. And we, you know, we began to fellowship with her, and the nurse described the problems with this woman, that 
she hadn't moved her arm up like this or out like this for 15 years, or her legs. Her legs were totally atrophied. And they were just basically the family was just wait, waiting for her to die. And you know, I'm, you know, gun ho. I said, Praise God, let's believe God for a miracle here. Hallelujah. You know, I believe I read the Bible, amen. And so we start praying for her, and we put on the praise and worship tape, and uh, the Lord says, I want you to run around her wheelchair. So I started running. Running seven or eight times. I forget how many times. I was just running. I was getting dizzy. Running and running and running. And suddenly I heard the nurse go, Ah! Look at her legs! And the lady couldn't speak very well. She was going, Ah! Ah! And I looked over, and the first time in 15 years, she was starting to get out of the wheelchair. Her legs were going like this. And then her arms started going, Choo! Like this. And let me say, I'm telling you, from all my innocence, I'm going to tell you something. I, w- I was not looking for any recognition or glory out of this event. But all I said in my mind was, this will make a great testimony for our newsletter. Innocently. Hear me now. And as soon as I said that, the anointing went out the window and she fell back in her chair. And we tried for an hour and a half to get her back out of that chair. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, what you could get by in the 80s, you can't get by with in the 90s. It's not a popular message, is it? What would have been a great testimony and encouraged the body of Christ in an innocent newsletter, no big, this is not, you know, today the Lord says, you want my best, you have to do it my way. And so I remember that event on the floor on Wednesday night. The Lord said to me, my, he goes, I want to visit my people. But tell the people they have to change even more. And me too. <laughs> because I think one of the most tragic things is for us to have a visitation and then two years later it's gone. <laughs> I am not here for just an event. I'm here for a, a long haul experience. Wouldn't it be tragic? Tragic. Let's not fool ourselves. Orthodox Jews today wear black for one reason. Because they are mourning that the glory left the temple. Tishba'ah. They are there at the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, whatever you want to call it. And they are praying. They are dressed in black, almost like... Uh, Funeral clothing, why? Because they remember what their nation used to be like. And I refuse to be like that. Hallelujah. You just got to make a decision that you're going to run this race and win. That's it. That's all it is. You're just going to make a decision. You're going to run this race. I'll not give my praise to graven images, it says in 42, verse 8 here. And I said, Lord, I don't bow down to idols. I don't have frogs and, you know, all that stuff in my house, I bow down to. I don't think there's anybody in the West that really, maybe, maybe some you know, environmental wackos maybe will do it. You know. These nomadic gothics, I mean, I don't know what they're worshiping, these pagans now. Think about it. And the Lord said, I said, Lord, I really don't know of anybody that worships idols in North America. And the Lord says, turn to Exodus 20. This is all happening, you know, Wednesday night. Exodus 20. Verse 
I'll start at verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or, or likeness of what is in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the water, under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. And my eye fell not on worshiping them, but on serving them. I said, I see it now, Lord. I see areas in my life that you want your glory to come, but you'll not have any statue of Dagon in your temple. Think about it now. Could it be that we're serving certain things in our lives that unknowingly have become idols? And listen, if we're stepping on toes, we'll pray for toes tonight, but we've got to talk about this stuff. Serving things. You can't serve God and mammon. How many people are wrapped up in the cares of this life to keep up with the Joneses? Are in debt to their eyeballs just to maintain some type of lifestyle? What are you serving? You're in prison still. Believe God for Jubilee this year. Amen? Believe God to get out of debt. Hallelujah. You know, I used to serve sports. I really did. Let me just turn a few chapters over here. I believe it's 32. Yes, 32. Talking about the golden calf, verse 4. Stay with me now, it's going to get better tonight. There's going to be a real release of the love of God. I can really feel it. Hang in there. Verse 4. And he took this from their hand and fashioned the graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose up and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. The word play there, or dance, is the word misachek. You all remember that word? It means to frolic, to play. But in the P-L, P-I-E-L, in the P-L tense, it's used only in that tense as a negative connotation. In other translations it says they rose up to sport. S-P-O-R-T. I believe the golden calf of today is the god of sports and entertainment in North America. Whoa! I've fallen into the trap so many times. Come out of anointed service, and I go home. Instead of keeping the, you know, keeping the metal to the pedal, I sit back in the chair and flip through see the Weather Channel. And then I'll, I'll see a soccer game. You know, I used to play soccer. Maybe you guys have a hockey problem. I don't know. <laughs> and just kind of like, well, let's see what's going on here. And before I know it, a whole hour has gone by. Now I looked up the word idolatry today in the Webster Dictionary. <laughs> And the word right before idol is idol. I-D-L-E. I think the idolatry of America is idleness. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Think about it. And those are the little foxes God wants to deal with. That's not the big things. There's no really bank robbers here tonight, you know, or 
swindlers. I mean, there is. We'll pray for you. But it's the little things. It's the idleness. The Lord showed me when I was in Halifax. You don't mind if I share this story again? You probably heard it the first week I was here. I was in Halifax, Pastor Ted Hughes Church, and he said, can you do a Promise Keepers uh, breakfast? I said, sure, I'll do it for you. And I got there to Promise Keepers breakfast, and all these men are there, and I said, why aren't you, I haven't seen so many men in the services. Where have you been? Senior wise, where have you been? And the Lord says, I want you to preach about sports, ice hockey. I said, Lord, I'm going to get out of here alive. <laughs> now listen, before I say this, I am not against sports in terms of exercise. You need to exercise your body. Amen? I'm against the consumption of your time in entertainment and sports to meet a fleshly need, to conquer something or to check somebody against the board or whatever. Hear my heart. Hear my heart, folks. I got ministering to these guys, and I said to them, you know, you know what the golden calf among men is? Sport. S-P-O-R-T. And I says, give me a break. You men have an ice hockey league, a church league, and you're out there checking another church up against the board, and fist fights are breaking out. I know in my spirit. I later asked Ted, is that true? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you should see some of the most savage, savage league is a church league. <laughs> And then you guys are so convicted at the end that you have to pray together just to try to say that you're still Christian. And I says, let me tell you something. Why don't you use that same God-given desire to conquer to go after demons and the lost in the streets? Where the real sporting is. And I said, when the Lord began to show me, he says, sport, what has happened is that because the Spirit of God is not moving and Mishachek is happening and all these wonderful things and services, that the men of North America have gone out to outside the church to find sport and entertainment. And God's bringing the Mishachek back into church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Making it fun again. This is powerful stuff, folks. I'm telling you. There was a strong rebuke. Look, look at the book of Nahum. Please, us, Nahum. Let me just look at it real quick. Oh, no, it's, it's Zephaniah. Excuse me. Powerful. Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 12. It will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit who say in their hearts the Lord will not do good nor evil. To be stagnant is to be idle. And God in His grace has brought promise keepers to get the burning bush back under men again. How many of you ever been to a Promise Keepers event? Did you say that God's using that? Amen? It says here, who are stagnant. It's actually the literal Hebrew is thickening the leaves. It means when wine settles and it separates. In North America, we call it couch potatoes. You like that, Chris? <laughs> These people right here aren't smiling that much. <laughs> You are. 
anything that causes us to go into an idleness can become an idol. Now, we couldn't really say this 10 years ago. I couldn't. I couldn't preach it because I wouldn't be a hypocrite and preach it. But I can say in 1997, I can preach this message because I am so thirsty for more of God. Hallelujah. And I want to remove every encumbrance off of me. I want to use every moment of time to press into God. Hallelujah. This time is so short. Idleness. You know what the next word after? Okay, Webster Dictionary is idle then idleness, and the next word is idiot. <laughs> the next one was idiosyncrasy, right? Something like that. <laughs> you can look it up. <laughs> and I began to have an argument with my heart with the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't have any idols in my life necessarily. And all of a sudden my mind went right to 1 John chapter 5. Let's turn to that. 1 John 5. I've read this so many times, I could never figure out why John would say something like this. John 5 and verse 21. After this great expose on the love of God, and behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, and greater is he that is in us, and all those wonderful things, in the epistle of 1 John, the last thing John says is, little children, guard yourselves from idols. I know what a big idol is in America. The dollar bill, the American dollar bill, in God we trust. How many times have we been witness on the street, Sonny, and somebody goes, this is the God I trust, and pulls out the $20 bill and says, this is, what I, this is my God right here. As a Jewish person being raised in a synagogue, we were drilled about idolatry. I mean, I never even remember in our house any type of figures of animals or anything like that. Just because it's Jewish, you're not told not to worship idols, graven images. But we had a big idol in our house called the 21-inch TV. Because every time my parents came home, all of us, we sat down, and before you know it, there was a fight for the TV controller. And before you know it, these graven images multiplied themselves throughout every room in the house. <laughs> and after I got saved, I used to come home and I'd see four TVs going on in our house. And then what really got my attention was my mom bought a TV, a little one. You know, a little screen about the size of my Bible here. You know, it's a little screen. Just sit there and watch while she's doing, you know, making the hamburgers or whatever. Tell me it's not an idol in our culture, folks. God wants our time like never before. Back to Exodus. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter 20. Listen, I'm doing this because I know God wants to visit His glory. <laughs> and we've got to lay the axe to the root. Think about it. We're asking God for His best. And then He goes, I want your best. Because we're not just asking for a visitation. We're just not asking for a little revival services. We're asking for the... 
If you notice our preaching the last few weeks, we are asking for the, the best God has to offer while we're on planet Earth. That's what we've been asking for. He says, okay, let's cut a covenant. <laughs> Verse 5 again of Exodus 20. You shall not worship them or serve them. You know, idolatry could be your car. It could be your fishing pole. It could be, uh, you know, every year you've got to go moose hunting. It's a tradition, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Sacred cow? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's between you and the Lord, okay? But all I know is I see the signs of the times. <laughs> you know what Charles G. Finney said? He said, the greatest enemy of revival. This guy knows about revival, Finney. He says, the greatest enemy of revival is, he, goes, he calls them innocent amusements. He goes, whatever is not done for the glory of God is an innocent amusement. And it takes away from your most precious commodity, which is your time. And your time, whatever you do, you're supposed to give glory to God in. He says that will short-circuit a move of God upon a people group or a locale quicker than anything else. Is when God's people become indifferent and allow uh, legitimate pleasures to arise up. I'm not asking us to live like Puritans. Give me a break. We're not talking about that. Whatever, just think now, as, as the word of the Lord is going forth, whatever, what, what gets your fancy? I know what a big idol is in North America, Home Depot. What is, the, what is Home Depot here? Do they have anything? Are you at Home Depot is, you know what I'm about? Yeah. Or Heckinger's or Home on a Sunday afternoon at church once in, in America, I went to a place called Home Depot. Home Depot, Canada. Home Depot, Canada. Good. And I was surprised how many of the places packed with people improving their home, their little castle. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Come on now, folks. But overconsumption with that. That's what God got upset the nation of Israel. He said, you guys are living in ivory-paneled homes. What happened to the temple of God? Consider your ways. <laughs> this is a balance here, okay? Hear my heart. For me, outside of ministry, was I enjoyed going playing soccer. And God says it's an it's an Ishmael. Get rid of it. And I was justified. Well, Lord, I'm leading people to Jesus. Oh yeah, you're you're, you're praying with them, but where are they? They're not in church. God says, I want everything you have. Where is the person that will stir themselves up? Will take hold of me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Maybe it's fashion. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's, I don't know. But whatever gets a hold of your emotional fancy, that tickles your fancy, that you enjoy doing outside of church, weigh the scales of it now in this hour. Hallelujah. 
I'm telling you, folks, we're about to have a, a Holy Ghost visitation. I can feel it in my bones. It goes on, it says here, You shall not serve them, for I am the Lord your God, a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. The Lord is a jealous God. Tonight we were singing, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus, free from sin. Did you know what the word Lord means? Owner. To be a believer is not just, okay, you're saved, now we have a, in my portfolio, I'm going to heaven now. Everything's cool and kosher with me, I'm going to heaven. God says, I want to have a say-so in what you do with your free time. I bought you with a price. You're no longer your own. You're dead. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. Whatever you do, you need to do the glory of God or it's sin. That's what Finney said. Whatever you cannot do to the glory of God is sin. Folks, we have to get ready because I read about Ananias and Sapphira. I've read the, the history just of the Jewish people and it makes me cry. And I don't want to repeat the same mistake. What is it that you're serving this hour? That's got a hold of you. Maybe it's the cares of this life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some material object. Maybe it's an idea. I don't know, but you and God know. Let's deal with it tonight. Hallelujah. Because he's a jealous God. Ezekiel chapter 6. The theme of this message is, I'll share my glory with no man. Hallelujah. Before I read the scripture, if we'll be honest with ourselves and study church history, especially modern church history, We'll see wherever God visited and people began to worship that place, God soon left. At the turn of this century, the greatest churches in the world were found in England. And by the time World War II was over, England became a dark, foreboding, spiritual cemetery. In New York City, there's a church called Glad Tidings, a powerful church at the turn of the century. Amy Sipple McPherson, Wigglesworth, all these people preached there. But today, it's nothing but just a couple people there across the street from the New York City post office. Ichabod. We've got to learn, folks. I like long-range thinking. Amen? Chapter 6 and Verse 8, it says, However, I shall leave a remnant for you. I have those who escape from the sword among the nations when you are scattered among the countries. It's talking about the Jewish people. In verse 9, And those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which they've carried, they'll be carried captive. How I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me. What is, does anybody have Amplified Translation? I like to read that. Verse 9. 
how I have been broken by their lewdness, and myself broken, their wanton heart which departed from me, and blinded their eyes, which they turn after their idols wantonly. Here we see an image in the Word of God that God's heart Himself is hurt by the adulterous ways of His people. And adultery is idolatry. And I hear the Lord's heart tonight crying for us in a deeper dimension. During worship, I heard the Lord say this, just tell the people I love them. Tell them I want to visit them. Just prepare themselves. Tell them I want to visit them. Just tell them to prepare themselves. Hallelujah. He loves us so much. Hallelujah. Lord, if we've, if we've hurt you in any way, Lord, by the culture we've been raised up in, Lord, forgive us tonight. Things unknown or known. Just forgive us, Father. Hallelujah. He gave His best. and He wants our best. We don't belong to ourselves. He paid a great price. To be redeemed, as the Greek word means, to buy back from the slave market. He took the highest price of the universe could offer, His own Son, to buy us back to be His people. Turn to Second Corinthians. Chapter six. I haven't had a whole lot of time to develop this message, but it's just coming out spontaneously because the Lord said to minister it. Let's see this in a new light now. Verse fourteen of chapter six. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? Belial is a Greek word uh, from the Hebrew which means Satan or worthlessness. What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? For any young people here, you are not allowed one bit to date an unsafe person. Period. That's it. Because you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. Backslidden people, yeah. I agree with that. Say about it. You say, well, I love this person. You know, they're, I need this person. What you're doing is you're making your sensory perception, your need, your conscience, your lust of your flesh as an idol before God. God can bless you more than somebody can. Ooh, hallelujah. Verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? I look at this word temple today. The word temple in the Greek is a term used not just of a, the temple complex, but the inner sanctuary where the Shekinah glory railed. Isn't that powerful? It's not just the outer court or the holy place. We're talking about the holy of holies. You are the holy of holies. What agreement does where the Shekinah glory wants to dwell have to do with the world out there? Amen. Hallelujah, folks. For we are the holy of holies of the living God. Just as God says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I'll be their God, they shall be my people. 
And I want to say to you now with all of my heart, if God is not dwelling in our midst in a strong dimension, it's because we're not doing something right. Because we have everything, it's been done. Jesus has sat down, waiting for his enemies to become his footstool. Everything we need is right here in the Word of God. He's given us the Holy Ghost. But if he's not in a strong dimension, it's something, it's something he needs to do in us, it needs to change. Say, change me, Lord. How can we get ready? Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I'll be Abba to you. <laughs> and you should be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Mm, hallelujah. Let's stay on that topic for a long time. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 24. What was so wonderful about Wednesday night services as the Spirit of God was falling, I told Brother Steve, I said, you know what's happening? God is removing idols from people's lives and they don't even know what's happening. He's doing it invisibly. <laughs> and you know how He does it? He shows you how much He loves you and He draws you by that love. And you just don't even forget about what's back there. He just... I want to say something to you. If you are in a revival service and the Holy Ghost is not meeting your highest delight and you leave a revival service, well, I just need to get away. I need to go shopping. Or I need to go out and play golf. I just need some time to myself. You are backslidden in this hour. That is true. I'm telling you the truth. What we got to buy with last year, we can't get by with now. No, no. Now, God will let you go shopping unless you play golf. But if you're saying to yourself, I need that stimulus, outward stimulus, to make me have a relaxation, folks, I'm telling you. True. Still love me? <laughs> I'm not against golf. I think it's a great place to go and have a quiet time. Hallelujah. Holy <laughs> ground. Oh, I just need to get home and get in the bathtub and relax. Yes, your body may need to. But that's not your highest point of satisfaction in this life. He's a jealous God. Brother, you're preaching pretty hard there. Well, the love of Christ constraineth me. I'm being hemmed in, folks. There's no, there's no bridges left. They're all burned. There's nowhere out to go up with him. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. Let me share this with you. Is when I read revivals and read about moves of God and how they ended up beached on some sandbar, I say it doesn't have to end like that. So you know where I'm coming from, okay? Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, weed and imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I buffet my body and make it my slave. Lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. We all run, but only one receives the prize. Let's run that we may win. Amen? And the word disqualified here 
In the Greek, it's used of metals or coins which were rejected for not standing the test. Used of metals and coins which were rejected for not standing the test. And the aorist tense here in the Greek, Paul is saying, he is saying, hey folks, we've started all these churches, had revival throughout Asia Minor, throughout the Roman Empire, but I'm still concerned that I may be disqualified. Paul says, one thing I do in the Philippian jail, forgetting what lies behind, I struggle for the upward, the prize of the call. Let me read it to you again in that new sense of awareness. There is no safety but in advance. To stand still is to go back. To cease effort is to lose ground. To slacken the pace before the goal is reached is to lose the race. Tens of thousands have proved to be content with beginning well is but the first step on a backward course that ends in losing it all. I used to be involved in sales. When I was first married and had a job, got out of Bible school, I was involved in sales, selling office equipment. And they would tell me, you know, you just got to close the sale, you know. And they never told me that after you close the sale, then you have to service the product. The deal is not a deal until this product is in the place working right. That's because you got a signature. Amen? Hallelujah. Work out your own fear with salvation. Service yourself tonight. Test yourselves and see if you be in the faith. See if you be disqualified or not. Just test your heart. Say, God, help me. Show me tonight. Verse 10, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, all our fathers were under the crowd, all passed through the sea, all were mixed into Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. They were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed, which was the rock was Messiah. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happen as examples for us, that we should not crave evil things as they also crave. Not to be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. People sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play, or to sport. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. <coughs> Nor let us cry the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they are written for our instruction, upon whom the end of the ages have come. The end of the age is the same type of term of the powers of the end of the age. Remember in Hebrews 6, it says, let's press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. This is just the first foundation stone is repentance. You know, baptisms, you know, laying on of hands, all these things, eternal judgment, resurrection of the dead. These things we shall do if God permits. For those who have once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, and the powers of the age to come fall away. You know, you know, you know the rest of the story, don't you? The ends of the ages are upon us. And the Lord, Malachi 3, is going to suddenly come to his temple. You mark my words. I'm telling you, the same Holy Ghost that, this is not glamorous right now, but the same Holy Ghost that told me to blow the shofar at Schneerson's is the same Holy Ghost that told me to preach this message tonight. Amen. It was one of the strongest, clearest, sweetest voices of the Lord on Wednesday night. I heard him say, preach this. So he who has ears, let him hear. Hallelujah. Yeah. Glory to God. And it's going out to you, it's also going to me. Yeah. 
upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's in the imperative tense there. It says right here, the present tense of the imperative indicates the necessity of continual watchfulness. Continual watchfulness. When we start having even more glorious services in the days ahead, and you go home and kick off your shoes and say, wasn't that a powerful service? Right there at that moment, get ready. Be watchful. Not here, but what you do out there. As Brother Steve told me, Satan doesn't know how to start a revival, but he knows how to stop it. No temptation has overtaken you such as common to man, but God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And with the temptation, provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I'm telling you, I, somebody accused me of being idolatry, I'd say, man, you're from Mars. Idolatry was drilled into me as a young kid in the synagogue. Never got down and worshipped anything. Never had any type of images. Give me a prick. And the Lord says, you're some idols in your heart still. Ooh. Tonight we want to fall upon the rock, lest the rock fall upon us. I look up this Greek word where it says no temptation. It means testing or trying. Now God doesn't test us with evil, but he does try our hearts. It says here, testing or trying. This verb came to signify the intentional trying with the purpose of discovering what good or evil, power or weakness was in the person or thing. I want God to test me because he, I don't want to end up shipwrecked. There's a brother from Texas. I used to watch his satellite program. I, w I was two weeks away from getting married and I had strep throat. I mean, folks, I was a sick dog. Let me tell you. I did not drink or eat for over a week. I thought I was dying. And this brother, satellite TV from Texas, comes on and says, there's somebody on a sitting on the couch right now. And God, you feel like you're dying, and God's healing you right now. I was instantly healed that night. Hallelujah. And where is this man now today? Shipwrecked. <laughs> you all hear the flag that's waving? Test yourself tonight. I'm testing myself. It's the little things. It's the little things. We'll conclude tonight with the book of Hosea. When this revival started, chapter 1, when this revival begins to move into an awakening, brothers and sisters... I need to tell you, we cannot number this thing. You understand what I'm saying? Steve brought it up also. We've got to be careful about numbering this thing or marketing it. What we got by with last year, we can't get by with this year. He will share his glory with no man. Hallelujah. 
Verse 14, God told Hosea to marry a harlot as representation of God's love for backslidden and adulterous Israel. They're involved in spiritual adultery. In verse 14 it says, Therefore, behold, I will lure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. At chapter uh, 3, uh, 2, excuse me, chapter 2, I'm sorry, I said chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 14. I'll speak kindly to her. It says, I'll speak upon her heart. Tonight, the same way God delivered the remnant of Israel out of idolatry, He wants to deliver us out of idolatry. You know how He's going to do it? Not by a judgment message, but by speaking kindly to your heart. To lure you back to Himself. The mystery of the bride and the bridegroom. Hallelujah. Verse 19, I'll betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. In loving kindness and compassion, I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. The word know the Lord there is da'at. Verse 20 is da'at. Da'at means intimate knowledge. It doesn't mean head knowledge. It means it's the same word used of Adam and Eve. They knew each other. God wants to express intimacy with you tonight. If you'll remove other things from your lives that give you intimacy. Maybe it's an animal. Maybe it's a hobby. I don't know. Hear my heart tonight, folks. Come about in that day, I'll respond. Verse 21. I'll respond to the heavens, I'll respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, to the new wine, and to the oil. Hallelujah. And they'll respond to Jezreel. And I'll sow for, for her myself in the land. And I'll also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, thou art my God. Praise God. And so God's love is reaching out to the nations tonight. Saying, I want to betroth you to myself. But my original bride, Israel, I've set her aside for a, for a season of time. Verse 4 and 5. The sons of Israel remained for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod and household idols. Afterwards, the sons of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to His goodness in the last days. Hallelujah. Chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord, O His sons of Israel. The Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Because there's no faithfulness or kindness or da'at, intimate knowledge of God in the land. There's swearing, deception, murdering, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that the bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns. Everyone lives in it languishes. Along with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea disappear. You know why Greenpeace is fighting a losing battle? Species are being extinct because of man's lack of intimacy with God. Right there. That's right. Save the humans. Forget about the whales. Yeah. Verse 6. My people destroyed the lack of intimate knowledge. Ho! Chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Let us press on to know the Lord. 
Let us press on to have da'at, intimate knowledge of the Lord. His going is as certain as the dawn will come to us like the rain, the spring rain, watering the earth. Listen to me now, folks. Listen very closely. Verse 4. What shall I do with you, Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty or your loving kindness is like the morning cloud, like the dew which goes away early. Let it never be said of Christian sinner that God visited in a cloud, but it left. Let it never be said. Verse 6. I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The word loyalty there is the Hebrew word chesed. Let me describe. This word chesed means loving kindness. But as God, God reached out in his loving kindness to Israel in the desert, but as Israel began to play the harlot and employ idols, spiritual adultery before God in their lives, the word chesed changed to loyalty instead. Covenant faithfulness. Where today it takes on the root meaning chasadim, the Orthodox Jews, pious ones. If you do not believe that the Jewish people are zealous for intimacy of God, you need to study their history. Judaism today is the most is man's best attempt to try to have be intimate with God. And the moment you get up in the morning, the moment you go to sleep at night, everything is ordered in your life as an Orthodox Jew. They call themselves Hasidic Jews, pious ones. They have more zeal than I've seen in most Christian circles for prayer and fasting. But they went down a dead-end road, folks. And God wants us just to back up, hallelujah, and return to, to be loyal to Him that we'll never have any other idols in our life and go back to that original word, chesed, which means loving kindness. I'll end with chapter 12 and verse 6. Well, let's start at verse 3. This is tremendous. Hosea 12 and verse 3. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. In his maturity, he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. Even the Lord, the God of the armies of heaven, the Lord is his name. Therefore return to your God, observe chesed, kindness, loyalty, loving kindness, and justice, and wait for your God continually. Hallelujah. I believe Pastor said it rightly, this meeting's coming up in the morning, so we're going to be waiting on God, praying, stirring up our prayer lives even more. Hallelujah. But I really believe tonight the Lord wants to draw us with His sweet love. He's jealous for you tonight. He's jealous for me.
thank you for being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says, if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, that they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says, if anybody would call upon your name, they would be saved. I'm calling today, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming running home to you now. In your name I pray. Amen. Shalom, friends. This is Scott Holtz with Rivers in the Desert. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. Looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom.